So, all right. So we were talking about Scorsese again, and that led to a whole discussion. Um, and we thought it would be good to record and see if anything came of it. So, I don't know. Do you want to kind of, you know, give us the, the, the rundown of what the topic was? I think that, yeah, I'm happy to do that. I, I think that Scorsese gets hailed as this amazing director and it insulates him from criticism, right? There's a lot of things he knows how to do that he's masterful at, but I don't think he has the reins of every piece of storytelling and filmmaking. I, his ability to pull it all together into a cohesive narrative is missing. It's the one ingredient in his work that is always with the exception of Departed, it is the one piece of But the I would puzzle. say Departed doesn't feel like a Scorsese movie because he's basing it like there there was like another movie from yeah. from China that he based it on. Yeah, and Inferno, you can kinda tell. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, it's got like a transplanted feel to it. Um, there is something to be said as a tangent, there's something to be said for refining and perfecting something that's already good. So we are, it was time tested, right? What he was making, we already knew succeeded and he was just making it better. Yeah. So I'll give him that. But then he added a bunch of stuff in there that didn't need to be in there. And I think sometimes it pulls away at the narrative, but there is a thread. You can follow a logical thread through the whole thing. And you know what the story's about. Most of his mobster films suffer because you don't know who the protagonist is. Protagonist is. You don't know who the story's actually about. Well, how about this? He's let's, give, let's, you a... let's give concrete examples so that we're like tangibly talking about things. Like okay. What, what uh, like what what would be an example from a Scorsese movie of that? Goodfellas and Casino are perfect examples because they're the same story, right? Yeah. They're just told in different. It's, it's at least the same kind of movie. Like it's he's obviously right. replic. He's he's working in the same arena with both of those right. movies for sure. And in both of those stories. You have a narrator who you know is the protagonist, mm -hmm. but you have other characters who are fighting for attention so much on the screen. Yeah. And you get pulled away into their story so many times that you lose the narrative thread of what this film is about. He does this great job. I'm not tearing apart what his strengths are, right? Yeah. He does an amazing job of putting you in that moment, of building amazing characters, of setting incredible tone and shooting shots – putting together shots in these stories that are absolutely fantastic. But at the end of the day, where you started and where you ended up are, are they're confusing. You have to do the work of, wait a minute, how did I get through? Where did I start? How did I get to this point in the story? What is this character doing? Just snorting Coke in a kitchen. I, I would agree with you with, with Casino a bit, because that's almost more like... You know those movies that they make that are like eight characters all doing a bunch of different things? And it's an ensemble of, cast. Yeah, that's yeah. Like I, there were a bunch of them in the early 2000s. I can't. I don't know what the name for that type of movie is, but, but there was a it's period... An is that what it's just called, an ensemble? Yeah, it's called movie? an ensemble. Okay, so movies like that. Casino has that feel to me. It's not, it's, not, it's not quite like that movie Love, actually. It's not that level of being that, but it's pretty close as, as far as Scorsese movies go. But, right. um, but Goodfellas feels like everything revolves around Henry Hill. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that movie, I don't feel like that thread is confused by the other characters. Do you know what I mean? The, the... De Niro all of a sudden takes a forefront role in that story. And it's unclear why we're spending so much time talking about the heist. If the movie's supposed to be about the heist, make it about that 
Lufthansa heist. If the Lufthansa heist is just a piece of the story, leave it in the background and don't spend so much time having De Niro yell at everybody else and then cheat them on their money, right? A lot of time was stolen from, I forget the main character's name. Henry um, Hill. Henry Hill. Henry Hill. A lot of time is taken away from his story to then go chase that one. And then time is spent uh, with that. I guess the drug part is kind of important, but, but the, it feels the Lusada like... heist is important because that's when every like that movie is kind of about like this, like how you get to hell. Do you know what I mean? It's like like he's presenting this world that is glamorous initially, and right. and you, you're slow, you're seduced by it, and then there's like midway through the film when um when Spider gets shot is when you kind of realize how 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 he's he's really living in like a hellscape like this is really not a good place that he's in and i feel like the lufthansa heist is when even the honor among thieves starts to break down do you know what i mean and and it's like he can't even trust the like because at least leading up to that he can trust all of these people around him do you know what I mean even though they're all crazy and sociopathic he can trust them but then when the lufthansa i can't pronounce it lufthansa heist happens and de niro starts whacking people i mean that's like a that to me feels like you can't take that out of the movie without losing something in the film. Do you know what I mean? Like, like it just feels really important to the movie. He's already been to prison by that point, if I recall. Yeah, but but prison was like a and he eventually starts selling drugs and getting addicted to drugs. Yes. So yes. his own personal pathway to hell is paved. Right. We don't need twenty minutes of De Niro to show how fucked up his life is. He's been fucking up his life. No, but you need, the, you need the 20 movie. minutes of De Niro to understand how much peril he's in. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure. I the agree. Because the, the, whole, the whole thing that Goodfellas is really trying... Like, not the whole thing, but one of the big themes of that movie is the idea of getting whacked and how it can happen at any time. Do you know what I mean? And they deal yeah. with it in a way that, up until that point, a lot of other mob movies hadn't dealt with. And they, they, sure. sort, of, they sort of confront that head on. And all that stuff with De Niro is really important for explaining that and making it real and menacing. Do you know what I mean? You need De Niro to loom over him at the end of the movie because that's where that threat is coming from. And that's also what motivates him to become a rat in the end. Do you know what I mean? So, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's I feel like it's important, but it's also... it's all. It's, I, I want to make a tangent to Steven Spielberg and I'll come yeah, back. Okay, okay. Yeah. Scorsese in that point, because you're making a really good point, but I still think you're wrong, and I'll explain why. I don't like anything Spielberg makes. I liked Raiders Lost Ark. I like Catch Me If You Can, and that's it. I think that Spielberg is really talented, but doesn't know when to shut up and let the film speak. Uh -huh. This is his flaw as a director, and the thing that makes those other two movies work is one of them is just straight-up fun, Raiders Lost Ark is just straight up fun. And the other one, Catch Me If You Can, it stays focused to the story. And at the end, it doesn't try to hit you over the head with a moral. It doesn't try to tell you how to feel about it. It doesn't try to wrap up everything that it's been saying and say it again like all of his other work does. And I think what Scorsese's suffering from here in this scene, in these series of scenes with De Niro, is we get it. This is a dangerous world. We've seen it. 200 times by the time we got to this point you need to ratchet down how much de niro you're going to show us and you need to focus this 
because you are taking us off the rails and we don't know why. No, and but, then when you finally oh, no, bring ahead, us back ahead, on the rails, mm-hmm. right? We're it's a, it's jarring and disjointed. So yes, that's all good stuff. I'm not saying the De Niro stuff isn't good. I'm saying from the thread from the beginning to the end, when you're following that narrative thread, all of a sudden in the middle, you're watching the weird episode on the on a season of TV where you're wondering, huh? Why why did they put this in the middle? I was having such a good time with the show. Well, I guess this and, it, and it's been about. I don't know, maybe two or three months since I've seen Goodfellas again, so I'm a little bit fuzzy on the exact time. I haven't seen it in about yeah. a year, but go yeah, ahead. So, so, but, uh, uh, so just in terms of where all of these things fall in the movie, I, I, you know, um, but I, I guess for me, when I was talking about feel and how feel is important for a movie, I never get, that's a feeling I never have watching those scenes. Do you know what I mean? Like when I'm watching the movie, and, and I will have that feeling in some movies when scenes leap out at me like that, but in this movie, that all feels naturally placed and part of you know the flow of events and i think part of why is because up until then in the film de niro's character is very avuncular do you know what i mean he's not a menacing character and i i don't know i just feel like that that's when they really demonstrate the transition of his character do you know what i mean that's what like sure. i feel like if they take that out when you get to the end and he's kind of being a prick to henry it would be harder to buy all that than if you had, you know, had seen him, you know, having all these guys taken out. Um, so oh, go, I'm going to use Lord of the Rings as an example now okay. of why. If you know De Niro is going to make that transformation, you as a director and the writer need to plan for it at the beginning, right? You can't pretend like, oh, all of a sudden this character's doing this thing. We had no idea. You wrote this, you storyboarded this before you even started filming. Well, do so you mind, know, this is, this is based on real life though, too. There is, the, I understand yeah, yeah. that there's all kinds of real life movies that are fantastic and they follow the thread and there's all kinds that are all over the place and they're a mess because they want to get every single detail in there. And that's not how you tell a story in Lord of the Rings. Part three, they, the ghost, the pirate ghosts show up, right? Do you remember what I'm I, talking about? I haven't seen Lord of the Rings since it came out in the theaters. Because you know the book? I know the book, but I'm, okay. are, are we talking about the book or the movie? Doesn't matter. Okay. So you, so you, this, okay, is so bad, you... this is bad in both of them. Okay. 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 All of a sudden, you have this storyline being brought up out of nowhere about these people that betrayed the king and they've been sentenced to death. They've been trapped forever in these walls and this in this part of the world. I don't remember all the specific yeah. details. That story comes out of nowhere, right? If you know that's coming up as your third act, you plan for that in act one. You make some mention about the damned who never followed through. You make some mention of it in the beginning as a warning sign of what's going to happen if we don't follow this quest through properly. We could be damned for eternity. That's a real easy line to sneak into the first act of Lord of the Rings and then have it pay off in the third act, right? You even bring it up a second time in the second act if you want to, to remind the audience. But if you've, if you've planted the seed early enough in a story, then your payoff is better. If we show De Niro in some light getting handed a project and whacking some guy early on for not doing it properly, right, in the first or second act, then when the Lufthansa stuff happens, we don't need to spend 20 minutes showing He's a threat. As soon as guys, as soon as that guy walks in with a fur and a Cadillac and De Niro slaps him around at the bar, we know, 
holy crap, this is going to go sideways. Well, but the, and they do plant it. It's so the, <coughs> the Lufthansa scene is is a very hefty section of the movie. But it is, they, but they do plant that seed with a number of other instances earlier in the film. But what? it's no longer Henry's story. No, it, it totally is because Henry's right in the middle of the Lufthansa heist. Do you know what I mean? It's like you don't you don't lose sight of the fact that this is Henry Hill's movie because all these things are taking place that he's a part of. Do you know what I mean he's that's that's like the that's big... exactly what I'm saying happens. You lose sight of Henry's but, story, but I don't find that at all. I find, okay, I find that because you're there enjoying the ride and you're having a good time, and you're not analyzing it the way I am. We talked about this before we started recording, right? I can't turn it off. If I know, but I, get, I feel like maybe you're just stuck in one moment. mode of record of analyzing it because, like, I, if I, mean, I get out I, of the moment, I'm not enjoying the movie anymore, and that pulled me out of the moment. But I don't. I mean, I don't know. See, I don't know what to say to that because I mean, it's not, and it's not just me. Like, it's not like Brendan's quirky sense of entertainment elevates Goodfellas to this high level of acclaim. <laughs> I understand. You know, it's, it's, tons it's, of people it's, like it. No, but but I mean, it's I mean, not just tons of people, but like lots of reputable critics like it's it's a it's widely hailed as one of the best movies ever made. So, okay. so did he I, win an Oscar? Um, no, I think it lost to it did um, not. I'll actually say I'm being a dick. I didn't no, mean to do that. No, no. But, but he here's the thing. Win an Oscar. It, it, lo- and it lost a reason. To, it lost to like dances with wolves or something <laughs> stupid like that. So I think I think that it was a product of. The zeitgeist of the time that another movie. I think it was a product of the fact that at times it's clumsy, and that is difficult for people in the academy to overlook. I don't think so. I don't think the academy awards are always a good metric of whether a movie is good or not. You know what I mean? Like sometimes, sometimes they just win because something happens to fit in with what is fashionable with that crowd at that time, and because I think Dances with Wolves does not stand up to the test of time it took a long time for scorsese to finally win an oscar and when he did he finally won it for a movie that had a narrative thread that had a clear and concise narrative thread and that was departed which is making my point for me well but again i don't think that's a good i don't think that i don't think academy awards are a good measure of whether something huh (laughs) what measurement would you like to use whether or not you liked it no i didn't i didn't say no but i'm saying like roger ebert placed it at his greatest film of all time a lot of other critics have done so okay you know what i mean a lot people who understand movies and understand sure. narrative and things like this and it's and not I like never said it's a bad film by the no, way no no but the thing is you're, you're you're arguing that because it didn't win an oscar that no re- i'm not arguing that at all i used it as an example no no no, no but i want to make an important point you're saying that that the reason it didn't win was because of a, a narrative issue but the academy never said that do you know what i mean it's not like we know why they didn't give it an oscar but you know I mean? he how many times did he perfect that story, right? He did Mean Streets. Then he did Taxi Driver. Yeah, then yeah. he did Goodfellas. Then he did Casino. And he kept perfecting that Taxi method Driver story. is a different story, but Mean Streets is the same story. I right. Think. He kept perfect. You're absolutely right. I'm just going in chronological order, and I didn't mean to. Mean Streets, Goodfellas, Casino. He keeps perfecting that story. He just did it again with The Irishman, right? Yeah, yeah. And his movies just get longer, but they don't get more concise. Irishman is really hard to stay into. But concise isn't, you know, doesn't something have to be concise? Like, it doesn't have to be concise, but that it, that should be a goal and a plan if you want to tell a story in three hours on a screen. See, I don't think, I want to be careful here because I do think certain movies benefit from the kind of, uh, not brevity, but like the tightness that you're talking about. I I don't care if 
if I have 12 episodes to watch a show, I don't need the same kind of concision that I require from a movie, mm -hmm. right? They're two mediums. They're two different mediums. I don't expect Marvel movies or Marvel TV shows to be as strong as a Martin Scorsese film. Yeah. I just don't. You come in with different expectations. And I'm saying Martin did all this other stuff amazingly. All of it was just breathtakingly good. He gets you in the mode of that time period, of that place. He gets you used to those characters. You fall in love with everybody, even Pesci, who is a piece of shit in every movie he does, right? You fall in love with that character, and when he finally gets his, it's, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. You know, what an emotional moment. Whether you wanted it to happen or not, that's an emotional moment when he gets whacked. I, I mean, I and guess... All I'm saying is ratchet down your screws a little bit in this one section of the movie. Smooth it out and make something perfect. But I don't think that would make it a better movie is my problem. Like, I feel like if you take that scene out, that movie loses a lot. You know, Say like, take the scene out. I'm saying ratchet down your screws, tighten it up, clean up some of that, right? Shorten up where you can. We were t this started with Quentin Tarantino, right? This whole conversation. Yeah. We'll yeah. Talking on on Facebook. But see, there I think the criticism is valid. Do you know what I mean? There I, I agree with you right. to an extent. But it's then just... I said, let's take somebody who's who has more yeah. accolades and look at how he's so good at all these other things. He's such a fantastic photographer. And he's such a great world builder. He just always loses the narrative thread. Always, always, always. Because he falls in love with these characters and he wants to well, embellish them. There, there was even a commercial he was in where he made fun yep. of that. Where he literally yeah. loses the narrative thread of the, the, the pictures yeah. he's taking. I think it was a Kodak commercial. He's probably aware of this, right? But, of, that, but again, I think that's because he focuses more on the characters. Absolutely. Right? You know? And, so and I, there's nothing wrong with any of that. There is nothing wrong with any of that. But if you want to make something... Seven Samurai is my favorite movie mm -hmm. of all time. Without a doubt, not a single mistake in that film. It takes an hour to get to plot point one. An hour. But that could be okay. If that's that's the movie fantastic. You make. I'm saying that's fantastic. Okay. It's so well built uh -huh. that it takes you an hour to get there and you don't care. Okay. Right? You're enjoying these characters. You're enjoying the ride. You hope it never ends. It's so well put together. Right? That's what makes that movie so fantastic. And when I'm done with Goodfellas, I'm dizzy. How See, many things? How long did uh, this go but on? That's the how opposite many... reaction. I, I don't have that reaction at all to it. Right. Really? So, um, you know, I mean, and, and again, if the, I mean, if these structures matter, I sh even if I'm not aware of them, they should be imp impacting me the same way they're impacting you. Right. Like uh, the but for but it's not like when I I, I, I think. I think what you don't like about that section of the movie operates at a deeper level. I think it has more to do with the musical aspects of of that section, where I think there's like a there's the um, I think they play Inagata Davida at one point, and then they uh, they start playing um, oh god the Eric Clapton song when they start revealing all the dead bodies. And Lola, I don't know what Eric Clapton song. It's the uh, what's what's the band that he was in that he Wings? No, not Wings. Um, was it Derek and the Dominoes? Is that the name of the band? Oh, okay, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Like the I think I know the song you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's like the slide guitar bit when the when you yeah. see the body and the truck and everything. Um, yeah. I know that you're you don't have a very positive response to those kinds of moments in movies, right? And there's a lot of those kind of operating moments. in that sequence. What kind of moments? 
the moments where Scorsese or Tarantino use music as a kind of lubricant. Uh, you know I, mean? <coughs> I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's Layla, Derek and the Dominoes. But it's like the second half of Layla, right? It's like the part where it's all Piano exit is what it says. What, what does it say? Piano exit. Okay, yeah, yeah, that part of it. Um, I First of all, I don't like Scorsese's taste in music. So that is a huge problem for me because that takes me out of the moment too. I think... I think music should complement, not in a film. It should complement the film. It should not slap me in the face like a salmon. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, I really don't like music in uh, Quentin Tarantino stuff either. I want to hear a score. I want to hear something that matches the mood of what's going on. I don't want this. I don't want another along the watch power tower piece to remind me that we're set in the 60s. No, and see, and that's fine, but like I have a very different reaction to that stuff, which is I really enjoy it, and I think that that right. adds to the movie. Um, and so I'm just wondering if our reactions to that section of the movie have anything to do with that over structural issues. Do you know oh, I, mean? I don't know. I don't uh, know. But... I think I just, in the case of Scorsese, I've learned to just have to deal with it, right? I know it's going to open with a bad Rolling Stones song, and I just got to live with it, right, if I'm going to watch a Scorsese film. Goodfellas doesn't open. It opens with um Sure, in this case it it opens with Tony Bennett, yeah. but um I mean there's do, a do lot of Do you hate just... Tony Bennett too? What? Do you hate Tony Bennett too? I don't have an opinion on okay, Tony Bennett. Okay. My mom loved Tony Bennett, so I have yeah. some affection for him. Um I, He was on in the house sometimes when I was growing up. Yeah, but you have a different reaction to stuff that was on when you were growing up than I do. So, like a lot of times the music that you say you don't like, it's because it's the stuff that was on in the house, right? So. Well, I I certainly hate Zeppelin because it was always on the radio, right? Uh -huh. If I was outside helping my dad or my cousin in the garage and the radio was on, KLOS was playing, you better believe Led Zeppelin's coming on every hour. Okay. And you just get sick of that. You just, as a kid, it's just, ugh, how many times? So I can't enjoy any of that. But in the case of Tony Bennett, it was... You know, we had Bobby Vinton on in the house, too, because it was Italians. But I I don't. Was Bobby Vinton Italian? Probably. A lot of, must have been. A lot of been. these guys had names that didn't sound Italian. You know, Steven Tyler's Italian. Is, a, is he? Tyler Reno, I think, is his last name. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense, too, right? Like, you can picture him if he cut his hair and had on, like, you know, more ordinary clothing. You know? Oh, my God. So, I don't know. But... He's way too skinny for an old man to be Italian, so I don't think. I don't know. I know I some. Have to wear really shabby clothes to look Italian now. I, I know a number of skinny old Italians, though. Do you know what I mean? It's it's uh, it can go either way. Um, <coughs> but no, but yeah, no. I, we had the you know crooners on and like Italian opera on and things like that, and then yeah. but also I remember the '60s music and all that stuff. Um, but generally, stuff that I heard when I was younger. I have a positive reaction to, um, but, but getting back to the, the point, I think, I don't know. It's just, if, if, if what you were telling me, right. Like if you were saying this scene in the movie was, it, and it was a scene where I agreed with you that like, Oh yeah, that scene kind of could go. Do you know what I mean? Then I'd be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But I can't imagine the movie without the De Niro sequence where he's, right. 
whacking people and all like that just seems really essential to the film it seems central to to the movie and i think when you hear me saying ratchet it down you think i'm saying cut a scene what i'm saying is trim down the scene itself clean it up get through this patch as fast as you humanly can because this patch isn't only about if it's there to make me scared of de niro it doesn't take that much work to make me scared of De Niro. If it's there to make me fear Henry Hill's death, I we've been worried about that for a long time, right? So cleaning that up means just focusing and honing those things. But don't you just kind of want to hang with it sometimes for a while too? Like, not when I'm two and a half hours into a movie. No. Okay. I, See- I'm already been. Pay- I've already invested. I've already been here for a really long time as a viewer. Right. How would you like it? How, how do people feel when they write another Wheel of Time book just to extend that Wheel of Time series? Well, that's different, though. That's I think that's there's long and then there's Wheel of Time long. Like, <laughs> I mean, I haven't Keep even me bothered with Wheel of Time. So just because I, I, I know, you know how many, the what was that, you know, what the point is that I'm making. No, I know what you're right? saying. But but I guess I guess what I'm arguing is like, number one, Goodfellas is almost a little bit of a slice of life movie. Do you know what I mean? And you know what I mean? Like the, the kind of movies where you sort of you're seeing a character's life play out and you're getting a lot of mundane stuff like dining rooms. You know what I mean? Like like the prison scene. They're not focused on the stuff in prison that you would normally focus on in a prison scene. They're focused on right. on getting the dinner ready. Do you know what I mean? Right. Everything is leading to that meal. Do you know what I mean? So like right. it's but it's the kind of movie where I find is enjoyable to kind of hang out with the characters and for the scenes to breathe. And that, that is a perfect example of a scene in the movie. In fact, because that scene is serving so many purposes. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on in that dinner scene inside the prison that you, you want to see it. You need to see it because it's telling so many stories at once. Mm-hmm. Right. But now he's back out. He's trying to get, get his life back together. He's trying to make money. I love the scene where the women are in their ugly clothes at home trying to make ends beat meat because all their husbands are in prison. And all a lot of those stories they tell in that scene kind of play out in the rest of the movie, too. Right, is, right. Those are all yeah. fantastic. And then you get, you're at this two-hour mark or whatever it is, and the Latanza heist happens. And, uh, by the way, I love the story of the Latanza heist, mm-hmm. right? How easy it was to steal that money, how stupid they were. To not have any security on that plane is just fantastic to me. And let's get on with it. We've seen this. We've seen another heist. They've made money. And it's just feet dragging after that. And I get why he did it. I totally get why he did it. And we're fixated on this one movie, which is just funny because Casino (laughs) makes the same mistakes. Well, to be fair, it's because I know it's going to make my point better than I can make my point because it's so well received. So, sure. So it just it just positions and just me. because I'm saying this one part of it is bad doesn't mean that the whole movie's bad. No, I know that. I I know that. And, no, I get that. But I. And so. Oh, go ahead. You go can't ahead. keep falling back on other people's opinions to justify a bad point. Everybody loves the movie, and I love the movie. That doesn't defend. You like Star Wars: The Universe, right? We go to Star Wars all the time. There's a million bad moments in Star Wars from beginning to end, through nine episodes. Right. You can't tell me the whole thing is great, even if you love Star Wars. So there are moments. And when I'm in a movie and I'm watching a movie, when I'm inside the moment, I'm watching a movie. 
it is very easy for me to get broken out of the moment because I'm thinking, oh, this could have been so much better. Why did you make this choice and pull me out of the moment? But two things, two things. So number one, but you're not just saying that. What you're saying is Scorsese isn't good at storytelling. And I'm saying he's not good at the narrative thread. Okay, so he's not good at the narrative thread. And but but also, I, I, I genuinely don't have that response to a lot of those moments, at least not in like this moment in this movie. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's going to make me question the overall assertion, right? That, uh, and, and I don't, I don't have the literary tools to, to sort of say, yes, well, there is still something going on here that is story related, but that part of the movie doesn't, it doesn't break down for me in any way as a viewer. I don't, I don't feel like I need the film to progress faster or tighten up that section i i enjoy the fact that there is you know a moment for me to sort of kind of breathe and relax with the characters and and i don't know it, it just works for me um and we I, really should have watched the movie before we sat down well, and talked we about should have because we're, we're sort of struggling to remember bits but i mean i've seen the yeah. movie like 30 times so it's not like you know it's it's i, I think we could still if I, I do this all the time. I, I we were we we talk about wuxia movies. We haven't we've been lazy lately, but it used to be every week. And every Friday we would get on and talk about one. And you'd have to watch it once, maybe twice, right before uh, you talk about the film. And over time, I came to think that that's maybe the worst way to talk about movies because, on the one hand, it's good because you're getting an initial reaction from a viewing, but on the other hand, it's bad because you you really should be able to talk about these things whether or not you just saw the movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it should be... If, if it's a movie that's relevant enough like Goodfellas is, then we can still... I think we can still have this discussion without having just seen it 10 minutes ago. Um, because what we're talking about also is its lasting impact on us as viewers. So, um, And also, it's just stuff that you you've had time to think about between viewings. Do you know what I mean? It's not... It's, I don't think that that, I think it's more important that we talk about the thoughts that you're having between watching Goodfellas versus, you know, getting all of the scenes in exactly the right order and everything. Sure. Um, sure. But, but yeah, so I don't know. I, I guess, I guess what I was responding to was we were kind of framing this as the, the critics versus audience type discussion when we were initially having it. And right. so that's that's i tend to align myself more with the audience do you know what i mean and more with sure and and so i don't want to give i feel like if i reacted to what you're saying by agreeing with you that i'd be doing so just so people would perceive me as being smarter do you know what i mean <laughs> and and so that's why i'm so stubborn about these kinds of things sometimes um and it's not to take away from your opinion because your opinion is very well considered and it's your opinion. It's, it's not a, you know, you're not, you're not like shaking me down and making me agree with you. No, um, I, so, I actually don't care. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I kind of lost where I was going with that, but no, uh, I, you make a really good point. And this is the frustration with any kind of review. Right. And I always go back to star Wars cause it's just, it's the culture. It's the cultural zeitgeist of star Wars. 
if you have an opinion about Star Wars, you're automatically wrong in the eyes of the community. Mm-hmm. Whatever your opinion is, you cannot talk about it. You cannot talk about your theories. You cannot talk about your opinions. You can't talk about your wishes. Somebody out there is going to knock you down for having said the thing. Yeah, and I just and, I just saw that like eight times in a thread the other day. So you're you're still a hundred percent right about that. Yeah, um, and so I'm not trying to take away somebody's fun. That isn't my job. I don't care what people like and what they don't like. If they can go and still read Curious George and get glee out of it, fine. I but I don't want I don't want to be part of a conversation that hails Curious George as art. I don't want to be in a conversation where we're saying episode eight is art because there's nothing I can offer that conversation. I'm just going to become the enemy of everybody. What I want to be able to do is look at something and say, wow, I really wish they'd done this, this and this to make it tighter, to make it better, to make it stronger, to make these choices meaningful, to make this character more interesting. I'm always going to be looking for what could have been done to make it better because that's just my background. I can't turn it off. There's nothing I can do. And so my analysis is always going to be different from yours because I, I write for a living, right? I've without sounding like an asshole, I've won awards for writing. So I kind of know what I'm talking about in some respects. I'm not right all of the time, but if I sit down and I spend this much time analyzing a thing and something I love, Goodfellas, something I love is Martin Scorsese. And I say, wow, I really wish this piece had been tighter because the narrative thread is lost and we're in this jumbled maze for about 20 minutes before we get back to Henry. That's that to me is frustrating because I just want, I I just want it to be a little tighter because I'm losing, I'm losing the thread. And if I'm losing the thread, that's a bad sign. Okay. I I guess, I guess where I, there's a lot there, so I'm just trying to pick what yeah, to yeah, talk yeah. about. Yeah, you let me so, ramble for a while. So I, I feel like what I want to know when somebody says something like that is you're identifying this structure, this narrative thread structure. Right. And you're very aware of it as you're watching the movie. Right. But you're you're like one of the few people that is having this reaction to that, right? So why why is that important? Do you mean, like, where are we getting the ought from with this structure do you know what I mean I get that I get that it's something that comes out of some kind of theory and but I don't understand why it has to be there do you know what I mean if 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 the film is still enjoyable for most people and still working if if you're watching a detective film and it doesn't open with the murder aren't you a little confused I I mean it depends on the movie um but, but yeah, if it's I, a, I could be, I could be, yeah. if I don't know what the murder is, they're trying to solve it because I've been trained to think a certain way. Right. The, there is, there is a certain structure to all genre, right? And then when you get outside of genre and you get into drama, the, the Greeks knew the structure of this 6,000 years ago, right? It, a lot of it plays into just how our brains are built. So we know what works and what doesn't. So when we take too many risks, too many experiments with a film, you get, part three of the new Dracula on Netflix, right? Which I haven't Which seen, is one of, so I don't know what the... It's uh, one of the worst things ever made. Okay. And I've seen it in Star Wars Episode Eight, and I'm saying that, that I had no idea what was going on 
it made it was as though they dropped the film on the ground and had to put it back together in random order because they didn't know what it was supposed to be. That's how bad episode three of that is. So when we see stuff like that, even if we're not trained, we as audience members have watched enough stuff that we know something's wrong. There's something not right here, even if you don't have the vocabulary to describe it. I get that. I get that. What's that? I get that. Right. Um, So there have to be moments when you're watching something that you think is great, the greatest thing ever made, where a part of your brain is saying, oh, that was strange. Oh, that joke wasn't that funny. But then you go right back into the film and you enjoy it and it doesn't take you out of the moment and you're able to finish the film. I don't have that DNA. But I guess what I'm saying is like, and this is why I wanted to be careful about this discussion because I was thinking about it and I was like, well, I definitely don't want to come on here and say, I don't believe that the monomyth is important. I don't believe story is important. I don't believe the, you know, movies and plays having acts is important. You know, I, I, I think those things are all good. And I think, you know, Star Wars benefits from, you know, following a lot of the stuff from like a hero's journey, for example. And that a lot of movies that don't work, don't work because they go completely against these expectations that you kind of have built in going and watching them. Um, But I, I, again, I feel like those, those kinds of underlying structures are only important to me if if I notice that, that there's a problem. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, I'm, if it's if it, I don't feel like it's something that you need to have on at all times rigidly. Do you know what I mean? I feel like it's something that if if a movie starts to feel weird to me, I might start to ask why does it feel weird? And oh, maybe it's maybe there's a structural reason. But but just going back to the the Goodfellas example with the um, with that, I don't know why we were lingering on this one Robert De Niro sequence, but on the Robert De Niro part, that that just doesn't have that effect on me as a viewer. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like, I, is it possible to overemphasize these elements? Do you know what I mean? To to kind of carry them with you so much that you're you're not having the same experience that other people in the room are having. Do you know what I mean? You must have watched a movie at one point in your life where that feels like the movie is dragging and you wonder why the pace just collapsed on you. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So we're not talking about any of those bad movies that have done that. We're talking about a masterpiece that has a flaw in the last two thirds of it where I am sitting there wondering why is this thing dragging what happened to this story? What happened to the narrative thread here? So, yeah, I'm probably being extremely picky uni about this, but this is a, an example of what we started talking about, which is that Scorsese is a fantastic photographer and and uh, not a narrativist, um, a set, world builder, great at setting and characters, and where he misses the boat and why he constantly has films. I thought I did that. No, that um, was me. That was me. I apologize. Where he constantly has these films that go off the rails for a while before they get back. And we're talking about this one instead of something else because I think it's every, something everybody knows. If we talked about Shutter Island or we talked about Bringing Out the Dead, people would wonder what the fuck we were talking about because nobody watched those. So, um, Shutter Island, I think, was kind of okay at the theaters, wasn't it? Or was that a bomb? 
I don't I don't know how well it did that the theater. I don't keep track of that. That was filmed in the, the town next to me, Shutter Island. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was filmed in the haunt. That's, that's interesting. There. Yeah, it's like a little... It's it, I forget the, the geographical name of the structure, but it's like an island connected with a thin land strip uh, to the to the rest of Massachusetts. Um, Unrelated, I used to live in Long Beach, California, and everything was filmed down there because it was so cheap to film in Long Beach. And so our street that, was always that, shut does down. Does that pull you out of a movie when you see that stuff? Does that, like, like when you know where they're at? Okay, perfect example. Did you ever see the the Clint Eastwood movie with Gene Hackman where Gene Hackman's the president? I don't think so. I forget the name of it. I used to work on the Warner Brother and Paramount lots back in the day. And it's clear that one of the scenes is shot on the Warner Brother lot. And as soon as it was on the screen, it just pulled me right out of the movie. Okay. I could. There was no tension whatsoever in that scene for me. Because all I'm looking at is seeing, oh, yeah, that's where I walk to go get coffee. Oh, that's where I go. I knew exactly where everything was. I, I will say with Shutter Island, the thing that impressed me about that was I didn't recognize any, like I know Nahant, like the back right. of my hand, and I didn't recognize any of it. I really had to, I had to watch it three times before I was able to pick out locations. Right. Because um, they, but that was because they, they added things that weren't there and stuff. So it, yeah. it looked totally different. Um, now watch. the advantage I had with Long Beach is that most of the stuff that was filmed down there, I didn't watch and I didn't care. But Dexter was filmed down there. And so all these important scenes. Oh, I know where that house is. Oh, I know where that bridge is. Oh, crap. So it pulled me out all every time. This is not Florida. This is Long Beach. You know who's been filming here lately is Adam Sandler. Like they've been like almost every Adam Sandler movie that comes out is apparently made like around the corner from me. Yeah. So, um, Does he live in Massachusetts? He's from New Hampshire. I don't think he lives in Massachusetts. Oh. But I think I think he's got. New Hampshire people and Boston people are pretty similar. And so, yeah. and I remember when he was on Saturday Night Live, they did this thing where he shouted out a lot of the local town names right by where I live. So you must know the area for some reason. But it's it's not, it's, it's you know, it, 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 I don't really watch any of the recent Adam Sandler movies. So it's not like it really motivates me to go view them. But, uh, but it, I just had a small epiphany. Because we've lost our thread, right? I think the episode's grinding to a halt here. Well, I think I think we I, both basically said what we had to say, and we couldn't really continue without like yeah. just slapping yeah, we're each just, other. We're just slapping <laughs> each other. Yeah. Um, I realize why I'm such an asshole about us staying on topic when we're doing the the regular stuff, um, and it's because of this insistence on staying on a narrative thread. It's this insistence that we have continuity through the episode now that's impossible to do because we're just having a conversation we're yeah. just two guys but i i run into the same problem on my other podcast um i i don't like small talk and i don't like people just bringing up their personal shit in the middle of a conversation when people are having big conversations uh -huh. that kind of those tangents and those distractions really get to me okay and i think a lot of my personal hatred for tangents has to be in why I don't like the, those distractions in films. Why aren't you telling the story you told me you were going to tell? Why are you moving away well, from Well, you're that? also big on consistency and tone, too. And that yeah, was, absolutely. You know, so, absolutely. I, mean, I, I, th you know, I think that... But is that, is that again... And I'm not, I'm not saying you have OCD, but is that maybe not a little bit of an OCD level of, 
of this thing has to be. Do you no. know what I mean? Yeah, I could see where you'd think that, but I don't think that that's it because I don't have OCD. I, I do, by the way. So I, I, that's, that's why I'm bringing it up. Um, um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to my own work. And I will analyze to death. Do I really want to say this in this order? Okay. Okay. Right. Is this the order the book should appear? Is this really the paragraph that should follow this paragraph? I will do that a lot. Okay. Uh, because I'm insistent on, I, I hold myself to that standard and I'm insistent that I, I don't put out something I don't like. Um, but I just, I think that that comes from a place of, I don't like people misinterpreting what my intent is and I better make sure that my tent follows through in what I'm saying. And I would think as a movie maker, you would want to do the same thing. You would want to have a consistent message. Even if that message itself is changing throughout the film, you want to be able to present it in such a way that you go, no, this message led to this message. Here's how it happened. Here's why I did these things. Okay. Instead of having to explain, oh, yeah, all of a sudden there's eight people in a in the story, and yeah, I need them there to make my point. You you could have found a more concise way to make your point. And I would, and to be honest, I probably need to watch it like again just to sort of address that issue. If the, you know what I mean, like to see if that's uh, if that if that occurs with that sequence there. Um, right. But, but I, I kind of interrupted you because we were kind of shifting away from this topic, right? And going somewhere else, you seem to be going in another direction, and I think I pushed you back in. So why don't you? <laughs> it's okay. Why, why I, you... I, the epiphany I'm walking away with is really important, and I'm glad we actually sat down and had the conversation because I'm realizing that I'm a bit anal about what I'll allow myself to get away with. So why would I ever let a a world class director get away with something like that? while making a film. Um, have you ever seen Ang Lee's, um, what's Ice Storm? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. I think well, the only Ang Lee film I've seen is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. You've seen Hulk? The Hulk? first Hulk? Was that the one with... Um... Oh, God, Eric what... Bana. No, no, I don't... I don't... But who, who, who played him? Uh, 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 who, was the, uh, who was the actor in, uh, in the first Hulk movie? Eric Bana. Eric Bana. Eric Bana. Yeah, that was the first Hulk movie, Eric Bana. And then there was Ed Norton in the second Hulk. Okay, and I Mark... thought that was the first Hulk movie. That's what was No. Called. Okay, okay. Before that, I, there I, was... I haven't no, I haven't seen the first Hulk okay. movie then. Then um... you've only seen one Ang Lee movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I, I know of some of the others, but I've never seen them. Um Okay. Uh no Anyway, it's... Ice Storm is one of those interesting films that it is. It's not for genre fans. It's a drama. Okay. It's it's one of those films where you you are long for this ride and you don't know where it's going and what it's about, and you trust Ang Lee because he's so good at what he does mm -hmm. that you 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 take the ride and it actually pays off, right? Okay. And there's all kinds of directors that get away with that. Um, I, I like using Vanilla Sky as a perfect example of how not to make a movie. Cameron Crowe was one of the best movie makers of all time for a lot for, you know, in that time period where he was amazing. And then Vanilla Sky comes out and you're watching. I don't know where the fuck this is going. This is stupid, but it's Cameron Crowe. I'm going to trust him. OK. And I'm going to let him take me for this ride. And then it's absolute garbage and it doesn't pay off. And you'll notice he never directed a film again. I, I never saw Vanilla Sky, actually. Oh, it's. Yeah. 
it's as bad as Transformers 2. It's as bad as Episode 8. It's as bad as anything you'll ever watch. Okay. It's yeah, disjointed I, mess. Okay. Yeah, I, I, did, I didn't see it. Um, no, I, I, I guess... I guess I'm a lot more instinctual in how I do things. Right. And, I mean, and I'm, I mean, I, and even when like I'm doing things like writing, I have a very aggressive approach to it. Um, and so I'm generally more concerned with overall feel than with, uh, like, I'm not like some people really like the proofreading stages of things. And, you know, that's, where they do their best work. And I, I've just never been that kind of a person. Um, and the same when I do music and all that stuff, it's, you know, uh, it, you know, not that I do much music these days, but, but back when I did, and when I was serious about it, uh, you know, it was always a lot more emotive than, uh, you know, really uh, sort of going through everything with a fine tooth comb and getting it exactly precise. But, uh, but but I don't know. I think I think uh, when it comes to conversations like this, the, the 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 show that you do with with Richard, that's that feels fairly tight to me because you guys keep the time frame pretty tight. So you you, you know, uh, but with with longer form stuff, I think if you stay on topic for too long, what will happen is it tends to get dull because people will just start repeating themselves. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And so. Um, so you kind of need to naturally allow for topics to shift and for threads to not, you know, for the thread to kind of move where it needs to go rather than be one line. There's a local radio station, 99.9. It's supposed to be hard rock and metal, but it's, it's not, it's garbage music, but there's a show in the afternoon called the men's room and it's three guys talking about just guy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes it's really funny. And most of the time, it's a grind to get through because there's one guy that talks over everybody, and it's constantly interrupting and constantly breaking the, the the pacing and the thread, and it is annoying. And I have to turn it off. I can't do it. I get that if we talked for four hours, you and I would have to change subjects, right? Yeah. If we had, a, and we'd have commercial breaks and all that other kind of stuff if we talked that long. But, you know, this could have been a thirty-minute conversation. And we could have just cut it off and been done. I think the natural way in which you you and I talk leads to us going on a little longer. Plus, you're you're kind of stubborn. <laughs> well, I am. I am. <laughs> I well, well, no. The reason I like to, and I've said this before, I I, I don't like to edit because I I don't want to. To me, this is like a cultivation tool. It's not. Yeah. It's not necessarily something where I'm. It's not even just that. It's just I I don't want to put out something where people are going to see an edited version of me. And then when they meet me, be like, what the hell? This guy doesn't stay on topic. Do you know what I mean? Or this guy, you know what I mean? Like it just, to me, that's important. Uh, and, and also it's the kind of, the kind of show I listen to generally is one where it's longer form and, you know, people will kind of meander and come in and out. And, you know, it's, it's not necessarily meant to be listened to, in, you're not necessarily meant to sit down and like listen to something like that intently. It's it's background noise until you're interested in what they're saying. Do you know what I mean? Right. And then and that's kind of what the show that you're talking about is like the uh, stuff that's on the radio is meant to be 
you're in your car and you might be paying attention to what they're saying, but you might also be thinking about where you need to go and mm -hmm. you're going to kind of be tuning in and out of the conversation. Um, right. So it's not necessarily focused, but, uh, but yeah, there was one other topic I did want to ask you about though, because you had mentioned this and it intrigued me and I know we're kind of getting close to the, we're almost going on an hour, but. Uh, you want to do a second episode? No, I think I want to. I want to have it be part of this because I feel like it might okay. actually. I just it might not, but there's a possibility it might connect to what we're saying. Um, you had mentioned to me that you thought that people won't be getting paid to do guitar in uh, oh, ten years yeah. or something, and I was intrigued. Up by until that. Like, now, this was a Wuxia weekend episode, by the way. <laughs> Wusha, Wusha, Wusha. Yeah. I always say Wuxia. I apologize. No, Wuxia. no, I used to do that too. I used to do that too, uh, and then I got you know slapped a lot for saying right. and people and i changed anyway up until now this was a wusha weekend episode about movies well, but if I, you want to start talking about i want to you know we'll, we'll, i'll find a title that'll bind everything okay. together um but i think i think it's an and, and if not i could i could easily cut it in two without really editing anything so um but uh i don't know i i i was intrigued by that because you said it and i didn't think much of it at first and then i started thinking about it and then I was like, well, wait, what did he mean? I didn't really know what you meant. And and then I was like, well, why does he think guitar isn't going to be, you know, profitable for people in the future? And and I came up with all kinds of different reasons, but I was curious what the what what prompted that. Well, first of all, I mean, let's let's go back historically. Music is something the upper class does, right? Poor people can't afford to get classically trained. So if you're a if you're a minstrel, you play the fiddle, you don't play the violin and you tell streets with a tell stories on the street while you're dancing and playing the fiddle at the same time. And you tell bought you sing body songs, right? So historically people that are making money with musical instruments aren't making that much anyway, because they're at the bottom and the people at the top who are classically trained don't need the money because they come from a noble line. Well, they that, this necessarily, is all, there's a patronage system too. So like, yeah, for some people, but, people always want to quote the patronage system. How many artists survived in their time period on a patronage system? 1% or 1% or 1% or 1% of the population, I, right? I, it's so small. Well, you had to be, you probably had to be like the best of the best to get right. in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it wouldn't have been a lot. You're of people, making, you're, you don't know you're making my point for me, but you're making my point for well, me. Well, I don't, I don't so, know. It's not, it's not, a yeah. it's not something I've analyzed or seen any numbers so, on. So I'm just kind of so talking, but fast forward to the 20th century, right? And you have guys like, uh, was it Ernie Johnson? Who was that blues guitar player? I always forget his first name. Johnson is his name anyway. The, the guy that invents the blues, essentially. Um, he comes along and he's making money going from bar to bar to bar, playing his music, right? But he's making a pittance. People are buying him drinks. People are buying him a sandwich. And that's how he survives the day, right? And he ends up sleeping with whoever's local. And this is it, becomes is it Robert Johnson, Robert Johnson. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, I think I think so. I think so. Um, so that kind of model becomes how jazz works through the 20s. Right. And uh, through the Depression, people can't make any money singing. All of a sudden, rock and pop are big in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Right. And people are able to make a living doing this in stadiums. And we're now back at a point where. You have an entire generation of people with so much time on their hands who aren't necessarily classically trained, 
but who are watching YouTube videos yeah. and learning how to get better at musical instruments. And there's a lot of them, right? Yeah. How many nine-year-old kids could play better than Eddie Van Halen that are online right now making videos, right? And so oh, go ahead, go it's ahead. a tool now of, of the middle class. It's not a tool of the upper class. And it's prolific. And you have so many people that are good at it that it's become almost a passe hobby to have that, yeah, I can strum 20 different chords and put something together for you. Sure, anybody can do it at a party now kind of thing. And I think you're going to see so much of that in the coming years that the the market's going to be flooded with people able to do this. You're not going to have anybody making money doing it anymore. It's just going to be a thing people do. But it's become that prolific. I think your history might be a little bit incomplete, though, because I feel and I could be wrong because I'm just basing this on like, you know, books I've read that were biographies and like documentaries and like things I've seen here and there. But it's not like I'm knowledgeable that much about it. But I feel like there was a point before musical recordings were a thing where people entertain themselves by performing music. In Absolutely. The house. And, Absolutely. And it was pretty ubiquitous to have people like every and, and and you still have families my family's like that like almost everybody in my family can play an instrument do you know what i mean even my dad who has no musical bone in his body played guitar for us and sang songs as kids do you know I mean? it was just it was just sort of how things were done in the family um and i think prior to musical recordings that was way more common to have you know somebody playing piano somebody playing this somebody playing that it might not have been a good piano it might not have been a good you know you know, it might not, they might not have all been classically trained, but they could have, they could have figured out enough to entertain themselves. Um, that, that I'm not failing to know that part. That doesn't have much to do with the thread of people making money doing what they do. No, but what I'm saying is maybe we're going back to that. Do you know what I mean? Uh, well, th that is quite possible, but now we have YouTube and social media to show off everybody's talents. That's you know true. what I'm saying? That's true. No, that's true. That's true. Uh, something we didn't used to have. So now you can always turn on YouTube and see a new band for free. You can see a new performer for free, composer, whatever, guitar player. I can turn on YouTube right now and see solo cover and what, 39 million videos are going to come up? Well, it's a little weird because like on the one hand – that's where people are making their money, but it's also creating the problem that you're talking about. Right. Um, and it's also creating the going back to the thing that I'm talking about. Um, I don't know how much money you make on only 83,000 views, but I'm guessing the majority of guitar players on YouTube are in that 100,000 view range, right? Well, I think there's a couple of things to consider. Number one, most musicians, I think, make their money performing in clubs and stuff anyways. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. Or, or doing wedding shows and things like that. Like, to be like, and there's a difference between somebody who can play the guitar really well on their own, maybe against a backtrack or something, and somebody who can function inside a band. And functioning inside a band live is totally different from having really great chops that look good on a YouTube video. Sure. And, and so I, I suspect there's always going to be a market for people that can that that have done the work it takes to be able to function inside a band uh but there's probably not going to be a market like, like we see this in our show like the like that band um unleash the archers we we kind of we seem to it, it seems like they don't make any money off their music or if they do they make very little and right. 
and a lot that seems to be the case for a lot of bands and so i get i get the sense that we are moving in a direction where there's no money on the album end of making music there's no money on the uh there's probably not going to be as much money in the youtube end because it's so flooded with people um but but then when you think about it like how many in the 70s how many people were really making a living doing that do you know what i mean like putting out albums and playing to stadiums right like what 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 would the percentage of that have been do you think oh i i'm sure it's it's always been the top one percent of one percent of performers are playing stadiums and making money doing what they're doing um but i my my initial theory is simply that it's become ubiquitous now Mm -hmm. somebody being able to play a musical instrument it's it's just something you do to round yourself out as a person we have so much free time now. Everybody complains about how much they have to work, but if you go on YouTube or social media, you can see how much free time people have. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I mean, you and I have enough time to make this stupid show. So, I mean, <laughs> clearly we're not working that hard. Um, Though, in fairness, we don't record all that frequently. Like, no, not anymore. No, I, I agree with you. Um, but I, I had to do a self-deprecating <laughs> joke. Um, I, I just see... And I see what some of my favorite bands are doing, right? I know they have part-time jobs on the side. I know, you know, John Arch builds furniture for a furniture building company on the side. He's the lead singer of Arch Bateos, and he used to be lead singer of Fate's Warning, right? That's his job on the side in order to pay the bills. The guy for Anvil works at a school cafeteria, right? Well, and granted, yeah, they're not a good band. I, I don't, does he still do that? Because I got the impression after that documentary came out that they kind of... No, they oh they, they're still, yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. They, he sold his same number of copies and that was I think he's sad. done actually. Have they even done a new album since? Then? I don't know. I don't know. I know yeah. that documentary made me very sad when I saw it. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah. I, I think if you're not Gene Simmons, if you're not Steve P- Tyler in the rock genre, how are you still making money? You're living off what you made before. I don't think you have anything to sell anymore. Well, right. But isn't that good? Like, should people be doing music? for the money in the first place. Absolutely. We should all be doing what we love just to do it. Well, and I think the thing about music is it's not like it's necessarily, I think the problem that YouTube creates is it is presented as a virtuoso thing where people would see it as, this is just a way to round out myself as a person. And I think that's maybe the wrong attitude to have about music. I think a much healthier attitude is this is an instrument I can use to express myself and have some catharsis at the end of the day or something. Do you know what I mean? That's a, I think that's a much more healthy attitude to have with an instrument. Um, not that there's no room for being, there's, I mean, if you're a virtuoso, by all means, you should be out there showing people your chops. But I would hate to think that like young people watching YouTube are sitting there and reluctant to buy an instrument or, or, or play one because they might not be able to, you know, do some of those crazy sweeps and finger picking techniques that you see online. Um, but I don't know. I kind of forgot where I was going with that, but I, I <laughs> it's really hot here today. I didn't mention that at the start of the program, but it's like 70 degrees all of a sudden here. And, uh, and so it's not, it's, it's, it's a, it's not a very good mental focus day. Um, I was ha- I was struggling earlier to think straight, and I realized that it was because I hadn't eaten. 
I was really, really hungry. That's when I said I'm leaving. We wanted to record earlier, but I had to go get some food. Okay. No, that'll happen to me too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'll just forget sometimes. I'll be so busy working on something, I'll forget to eat. Well, when you're writing, especially, that's very easy to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, 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 that's my theory why so many musicians are so skinny. Because when you're working on music, you're like burning calories playing and yeah. you're, you're, you're not eating. Should we talk about that Metallica video for a second? Which now one? that we're talking about hard working. Oh, oh yeah. What, what was? The, I remember we had a conversation about that, but I don't. It was the one showing the recording of the Black Album and oh, a yeah. year, year and a half, or whatever it was called. That was, and you could just see how lazy Lars is. That was how he okay, drags that band down. But go ahead. So what was our? But what was our topic on that? It was something about work ethics and music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, for me, the reason that that video was interesting is because I, I remember that period very well because I was like a freshman in high school and uh-huh. I remember going to that concert and I remember that album because it was like a very big album at the time. And so uh, that I just felt really old watching it. But but you were also sort of pointing out the, um, you know, Lars's behavior. And I was sort of torn on it because on the one hand, I think it's impossible. You can't really defend Lars Ulrich. Do you know what I mean? Like, like he is an asshole, right? And he is. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and it's it's not, it's it's just obvious to everybody. On the on the other hand, one of the things I like about this style of music is the raucous nature of it, right? And the you kind of want some of that lifestyle to be part of the making of this kind of music. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to think of <laughs> Lemmy as this guy who punched in at nine and clocked out at five every day. Right. I, no, I, yeah. I, right. But when they say recording starts at three in the afternoon and he's not ready until two in the morning, that's a problem, right? That's no, it, 11, is, it is. And they were complaining about it. They were complaining about it, but he wasn't changing his behavior pattern. No, no. no I think, I think the word that, that made me want to argue with you was, was professional because <laughs> I because then I started applying that word to other people and I'm like, well, if Lemmy has a hangover and he stumbles in at two in the afternoon, I think that's fine. He's Lemmy. He should be able to do that. I think there's a bigger problem with Lars. Lars doesn't have the talent to back up right. the, the behavior. If Lars had the talent, I think that that wouldn't bother you or me as much that he's doing that. <laughs> but it's the fact that he doesn't have the... And, and, and again, I get that he's grown as a drummer you know, since, and that this is maybe, it's maybe an unfair criticism at this point because he has grown as a drummer, but he's definitely not the person in the band that seems like they were practicing as much as everybody else. Do you know what I mean? Right. And so I think that's what it really boils down to is, uh, is, is I'm all for them stumbling in it too. If they're also putting out the, if like they're a riff machine, like James Hetfield is, or if they're, you know, if they're still going to put in the 10 hours once they get there, do you know what I mean? Then it's right. fine by me. Because uh, I think you have to accommodate the wild lifestyle. But, but yeah. The, I, lo- I think we're now in Richie Blackmore territory where we're trying to justify it's okay to be an asshole. No, we're not. We're if, not. If you're we're, good. No, we're talking but, about something different. We're talking about yeah. something different. I, I, I have a problem. This is very much one of my sticking points with any human being, somebody that can't be on time. And to be 11 hours late to a recording is, it's unthinkable. 
I was visiting a friend in Canada once and he's in a band and I was only there for a week. And one of my days was wasted waiting for the bass player to show up to record that day or to practice that day because the band would get together once a week and practice. And I was going to get to see them practice. Right. That, that's a fun thing to do if you if you like music is watching bands tune up and practice and jam for a little bit. I find it fun. And sure enough, an hour after he was supposed to be there, he calls and cancels, says he can't make it. And we've been sitting around. We didn't do anything with the day because it's middle yeah. of the day. Three o'clock was when they were supposed to practice. That's the worst time in the world for a visiting friend. And I just remember thinking, you motherfucker, you wasted my whole day. Well, how, how did the band feel about it? They were used to it. They were used to him always canceling. So, okay. I mean, when I was in bands, what mattered is when the person, first of all, if, if we were going to, rec- not that we had recording deals or anything like that, but like if we were trying to record a demo or if we were, I, I used to make um, soundtracks for, for film students and would get paid like 40 bucks for it. So, you know, I'd try to get, we would get like a little, like a little uh, uh, A-track player and, uh, and record. And if, if you have a task to do, you need people there. Um, and when they're there, they need to be able to play their bit. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, the, the type of people that we would let go is if you had like a bassist who shows up and he doesn't even know how to play the song. Do you know what I mean? That, <laughs> right, like, that right. happens way more than you would think. Like, yeah. like, here's what people got to understand about music. What, what, what you see is the product of somebody sitting at home practicing that song over and over like think of how complicated any song is that you know right yeah how many parts it has you have yeah. to you have to play that so many times in order to, to to be able to play it all the way through and to be able to play it all the way through and not have like a a stop or a pause or any of that and then to be good enough that you can breathe the amount of life into it that you need to breathe for it to sound exciting and interesting every time you right. play it and most people can't do that. Most people won't sit there and practice at the amount that they need, especially right. since most musicians aren't getting paid. Do you know what I mean? And and so that was a constant problem that I remember. That was always the biggest problem with other musicians is getting people that were just as interested as getting the songs to sound good as you were. Because um, there's usually always one or two people in the band that are doing 80% of the work. And then there's... <laughs> And, and right. so my issue with someone like Lars Ulrich is that I feel like he's a 20 percenter. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so and that might be unfair because I do know he does a lot of the marketing stuff and he's obviously an important like he's an important philosophical contribution to the band. Like he has ideas about what the music should sound like and all this stuff. But yeah. So, but, but I, I think, I this think is, oh, a detractive degree, actually, but. That's another discussion. You think what? I think his ideas are detractive to the quality of the band. I think he's the main reason they've sucked for the last 20 years. Uh, I wouldn't be hard that, to persuade a, to that position. What's that? I, it wouldn't be difficult to persuade me to that point of view. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, but I think the biggest, to, to your point, the biggest thing that annoys me about all of that is the idea that he gets to be the face and voice of the band when he's not even contributing anything when he has no talent when he's the one showing up late for practice and basically being the prima donna of the band and then also doing all the interviews that's to me is just disgusting 
Well, I, I think, think that's just what I can use to describe it. I think the reason he does the interviews is because he's the most uh, he's the most skilled at talking. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> do you, no, I mean, think about it. have you ever seen like an interview with, with Kirk Hammett or James Hetfield? Yeah. They're not sure. big talkers, and they obviously don't enjoy being out in public the way Lars does. So he's right. just a natural choice for that stuff, and it right. served them well. It's just that. I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you that there, at a certain point the band shifted in this direction and but on the other hand we have to like face the fact that they did reach unprecedented heights during the 90s right like they they reached a level of of fame that most other metal bands don't uh, so, do you honestly equate financial success with actually being good at your job. No, no, I don't. But okay. I think you can't ignore I just needed it. to clarify that. No, I I think it's a sticking point in a lot of our debates. I think I think it matters. I think that you can't completely ignore it and I think you have to decide what matters to you in a given situation like you know, I can I can understand like if a band is like, look, what matters to us is that we reach as many people as possible and that's what they're trying to do with their music. I have to listen to their music with that in mind. Do you know what I mean? Versus if they're just trying to do with what they want to do, or if they're just trying to reach a niche audience. I think sometimes we turn reaching a niche audience into, into like, uh, I don't know, like a, a, this ideal without thinking about what it means. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not, Targeting a niche audience can be good, but it can also become this thing where the musician becomes a slave to like a small community of, of listeners. And and so I, I, I do think that it's important to have a broader sense of, you know, why most people listen to music. Do you know what I mean? But I don't think that you can judge every band on financial success alone or any, I think, I think there are different reasons why different bands exist. And I think the reason Metallica is so interesting to people is because they started as a niche band. They helped create a whole genre of music and the, the latter part of their career to people that started with them early on is seen as a betrayal of that. And, and so yet they reach these heights. And so it's, I don't know. I I, th I think that uh, it, I don't know. It's, it's just, I I, fi I find that kind of an interesting aspect of them. Um, but I don't want to take up all. I'm just rambling now, so I don't know if you have any, any <laughs> thoughts on that. I was just curious because I think this is a sticking point when we start talking about things, which is because I'm looking for the quality, regardless of whether or not it's something has seen financial success or received accolades. Um, I want that thing to be good. If Seven Samurai had only reached two people, I would still have regarded it in the same way. Okay. Just people that. would have no idea what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So what ends up happening is we had... Metallica dominates the conversation not because they're good, but because everybody knows who they are. Yeah. Um, and I... I don't want to spend too much time talking about Metallica. No, but this is like, actually really I, interesting. So I want to, I want you to continue in this direction. I'm... So I think, I think they lose a lot of their verve after a while, right? The driving force for a long time was probably Dave, right? Before he was kicked out. Um, he had a lot of the ideas. He, he brought a lot of energy to the band. I'm assuming that if 
here's an interesting thought experiment. What would Metallica have been like if Dave had stayed in the band? And right. Would we have? Would it have reached the heights that it did, or would it? Would that marriage have actually hindered both parties? Do you know what I mean? And I don't know. I I don't know what. I don't know that they would have made it to the Black Album, and they probably would not have survived Cliff's death. Right, that would have torn the band apart, and they never would have come back together. Um, but I don't think Kirk brings to the band what you think he brings to the band on those first three or four albums. Okay, okay. I so, mean, well, I mean, Dave obviously contributed could have a lot. That at that point, go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. No, I mean, I think Dave Dave contributed a lot to those early albums. So I see, I see, like at least up through Ride the Lightning as you know, just as much Dave as Kirk in terms of the guitar work. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, But, uh, but also him and Dave have very different musical sensibilities too. So, right. Right. You know, I I just don't know what the, I mean, I think, I think it's actually more interesting to go back and listen to old Megadeth than to go back and listen to old Metallica these days. And back when I was younger and listening to these bands, I was the opposite. I was more into the Metallica stuff because it kind of right. it kind of hits you over the head a little bit harder in a way, um, like with its with its melodies, if that makes sense. But but D- Mustaine actually does a lot more interesting things with using chords underneath all of the power chord stuff. Right, um, and it, I I just I just find I find his playing style is better for going back and listening to it again. Um, I actually reached a point recently where I said, I'm, I'm sick of Master of Puppets. I, I'm tired of that riff. I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> well, they, right? they play that riff all the time on the radio, too. Well, it, I yeah, I don't really hear it that much on the radio. I just get to that song, and I go, oh, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. I get excited about it, and then five minutes into the song, I said, fuck, I'm sick of this. Yeah. I don't want to hear this anymore. And so... The other day, I realized I just don't need to play it anymore. I've heard it. I've heard it enough. And I don't feel that way about anything from Megadeth. No, and that's for the reason that I'm saying, because... Yeah, they're I'm doing, agreeing with you. I, mean, I know that doesn't happen a lot, but I'm agreeing with you. No, and, and, and just so people understand, some, I mean, and again, on Master of Puppets, they do do a lot of very... Like, the the music, the, the musicianship on that album in terms of composition is very good. I don't want to act like it's not. But it leans very heavily on power chords, and power chords are not actual chords. They're, they're, they're. You know, you're yeah. getting, you're getting like a fifth. You know what I mean? You're getting two notes. You get so it's, 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 it's like. And I, I don't have the guitar on hand, so I'm not going to torture you with my playing. But it's two notes, and to be a chord, you need a third note. And and a lot of times they will insert a third note in there with another instrument or something. But but with Mustaine, he actually is playing a lot of chords on his guitars at different yes. times. And that creates a whole different sound that I think kind of it makes you less bored as a listener if you've heard it a hundred times. So, um, uh, like, what's that song? Looking down the cross, I think is a good example of that kind of guitar work. Where you hear you hear a song like that now, and you're like, Jesus, was this written in the early '80s during thrash era? Because it sounds so different from all the other stuff that was, yeah. you know, coming out. Um, but you were actually asking a bigger question about you know whether it was important i forget what it was something about uh if i equated uh success financial success to being a good band yeah no i i don't but i i i don't think there's anything wrong with reaching a lot of people and i think 
No, I, 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 I agree. I, and I think I, that that's fine. I think that you have to weigh things on a number of different, like, criteria. And so one of those is going to be just your own, what, what gets me going with music. Do you know what I mean? But then there's also sort of maybe like the more intellectual side. And then there's this emotional side to it of what does this band represent? Um, and here's and I, the thing. Yeah. Here, Here's the thing that that concerns me about a lot of these conversations. You and I love and appreciate music, and yep. we love and appreciate certain kinds of movies, right? We've talked about movies on the other channel, yep. right? We have we have some kind of education beyond the pale of the common person who wins a hot dog eating contest, right? That guy's opinion of Metallica does not matter to me. I'm oh, so glad I disagree. That the, yeah, that's where I would disagree. I care about what that person thinks about. Yeah, that. and that's fine that you do, but I'm of the opinion that whether or not that guy thinks Metallica is good matters does not matter at all to me. And I think it's great that he's spending his twelve ninety nine on something in the bargain bin from Metallica because they didn't sell enough of Saint Anger. But well, I'm not going to defend Saint Anger. I'm not. I, I, I don't want. I don't want to be. I, to okay, throw, so, so hold on. I want to clarify something. I want to clarify something. This is very important. I do not like Load, Reload, or Saint Anger. I, I can't get into those albums at all. Right. Um, I like the Black album, um, yeah. but I don't like those other albums. And I think there are really, there are really solid musical reasons why I think those are all bad albums. Um, but I also can't ignore the fact that they sold as many copies as they did, and that they got as much airplay as they did. I have to, I have to at least say, well, they're doing something that's resonating with all these people. Do you know what I mean? Um, but it's not for me. And so that's, that's how I approach something like that. Um, I guess for me, it's a balance of, you know, I can, I have my opinions. Um, but I don't necessarily think that my opinions trump the opinions of the masses. If I have, I don't, I'm not saying that they trump them, but I just don't think that if, when you're looking, if you want to create music or you want to create movies, you want to tell stories. If an eight year old likes a certain Lego. That's yeah. great. But that shouldn't be that everything that is Lego, right? That shouldn't be everything that is star Wars. That shouldn't be everything that is D and D you, you can't base your opinion upon the people who are just now getting into it and have no appreciation for the thing, whatever the big thing is. Right. Could you just repeat that? Because my, for some reason, my volume just shot down. <laughs> All of a sudden. <laughs> I'm People sorry. Get sick of hearing me. No, no, no. Um, it's, 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 the, the, the computer had a reaction. I don't know. Um, um, I think that it's great that an eight-year-old kid likes Legos, but uh, Legos should build their entire empire based on that kid's opinion. And the same should be said of Star Wars. The same could be said of Burger King. Should be said of anything. That I'm I'm struggling to explain my point. If you want to make something good versus commercially successful, you have different metrics by which you are looking at to make those things happen. And they can marry. The Venn diagram can overlap, right? But your objective is very different when you're trying to satisfy an eight-year-old's fickle taste buds. All you have to do is give him chicken tenders in the shape of dinosaurs and you're done, right? Well, if you're trying to make an eight-year-old happy. But if you're trying to make an adult happy or somebody that has refined taste or specific taste, right? A Dream Theater fan is very different from me, even though we both like progressive metal. 
you're never going to get me to like anything Dream Theater does. So if somebody does a derivative band or Dream Theater, they're not going to get my attention. Okay. Uh, so this is something I kind of struggle with this topic and I go back and forth on it a lot. So it's not like I have a, I don't have a solid position that I'm very comfortable with on this one. I've struggled with it my whole life. And I think that the reason is because we're talking about something so subjective. And so yes. I find myself saying, well, okay, what you're saying sounds good. But then at the, at the other end of it, I think, well, why, why is let's be honest with where our measures are coming from. A lot of our measures for these things are coming from the education we got in them in school or, you know, musical training or whatever it is. Right. And so I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of where the ought is coming from because it feels like it's, it's coming from a place that we were trained into. Do you know what I mean? And, and I, I feel like are, are all we doing is saying that this set of aesthetics that we acquired as a product of our, our education are good and people that don't share that are, do you know what I mean? Like that's where, that's where it makes me uncomfortable to, to, it's not, it's not me just saying like, I want to, you know, I want to, uh, you know, like money is what matters. It's me being uncomfortable with the idea of dismissing the whole population for liking something. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I don't think I'm doing that. I'm just, I'm just recognizing that there's something different than when an eight year old tells me something tastes good versus when an adult tells me something tastes good. I think, okay. So, well, I think, I think, I think what's maybe confusing the issue is that we're, we're, talking about children and so uh no no because like like let's talk let's 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 talk about somebody who likes metallica right somebody who like somebody who likes load but doesn't understand master of puppets or, or something like that sure uh, uh you and i would do not get that that preference it makes no sense to us right. um but what is what why is Master of Puppets inherently better quality than Load? You know what is what is Load doing? That... Oh Jesus! No, no, that's I'm serious. Such a long... No, but, but that's just... such a long conversation, right? But Load a... is just bottom basement garbage. It was written for the BMX crowd. It was written to be played at dirt bike but events, it's... right? But it's not any less complicated. It's not. It's not. It wasn't any less difficult to make. Um, the, I the, disagree. No, no, I, I I agree with you that the that it sounds terrible, but in terms of its construction, it's not to me. It sounds terrible because I don't like the aesthetics of it. Do you know what I mean? But I think that the aesthetics of Load were just as difficult to create as the aesthetics of Master of Puppets were to make. Okay, well, do you know what I'm saying? Like. So I know you don't like lyrics. We talk about this a lot yeah, that you're more yeah. interested in the guitar than the lyrics. But the lyric quality absolutely plummets on black on the black album and it never comes back. You call you can say what you want about James's quality of writing or his style of writing or whatever you want. It is clear when he was doing Ride the Lightning, Master Puppets and against and, uh, and Justice for All that he was trying to say something beyond a high school essay. 
he really was reaching for something. And I can see it as a writer. I can see that he's trying to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. Into the Never, for instance, as a title, is fucking brilliant. That is a great title. That was the, the movie they made, Into the Never? No, no, no. So he's always grasping for a certain style of quality of writing. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire is fucking brain dead eighth grade writing. And you cannot tell me that that's as complicated or somebody reaching for something when they're writing that placating of stupidity for that hot dog eating contest moron. That, that is the difference that I'm making. I don't care that that guy likes it. He's allowed to appreciate and like Leonard Skinner and writing a fucking American flag on his chest when he's at a rock concert all he wants. But his opinion of a thing is never going to make it into my conversation about the thing because I'm not looking at it through that tiny of a lens. I'm not showing up trying to score with somebody in the front row while I'm drinking my third Jack and Coke. And I can't even understand the lyrics anymore. I'm not that guy. I'm the guy sitting on my beanbag with the headphones on trying to place every fucking note. And I want to know what this song meant to these guys when they were making it. I want to appreciate something on a deeper level. And so Metallica doesn't care about that deeper level anymore or a guy like me when they're making an album like Load. Well, and I hope that that was clear. That was clear, but here's the problem. Because I don't like lyrics all that much, I'm not a big lyric guy. Fine. I no no I can't defend the load. Sure, I'm not, I'm not I in opened a, with yeah. I know you don't yeah. care about lyrics, right? I knew that that was going yeah. to be your your point, but the album just is dumb. It, it probably is. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I, I I I barely pay attention to Metallica's lyrics as is, right? And by the time you get to load. I have no interest. So I just don't know. I don't know if you're right, right or wrong. Um, it's just impossible for me to weigh in there. I guess what I would say is when it comes to lyric writing, I think, I think that uh, it's, it's still okay to have a more universal message or something that doesn't bother me. Um, I don't think that James Hetfield has ever been a particularly good lyricist. Do you know what I mean? Not, nothing, nothing that he's written has ever seemed particularly smooth to me. Do you know what I mean? Like it's sure. just so. Sure. So it's never been an area where I've. Really... He is not a poet. Yeah, I'm and... not going to give him chops as a poet or anything like that. My point was is that you could see him striving to do something, to say okay. something, even on the Black Album when he is trying to say something like "Sad but True" or "Unforgiven." Right. You can see he's trying, but yeah. he's kind of given up. There was a time when he was trying yeah. and he wanted to sound like more than just a high school essay. And I don't think that that's true anymore. No. And I, I guess what I was just trying to say is I just I don't know how indicative give me fuel, give me fire is of the rest <laughs> of the lyrical content of that album. So that's why I'm, you know, like if, if that's all the album is then yeah, you're probably right. But like, I don't know if if they because like I'm sure there's portions of even ride the lightning where we could be like, well, that line is pretty, pretty, pretty simple. I, I, right. I, I think, I think that, you know, again, just to bring Megadeth back in, they've had much more interesting lyrics over their career than Metallica has. Um, if only because they're, they, you know, with Metallica, I feel like, I feel like they were writing what they felt metal was supposed to be about, but they weren't necessarily really into all that stuff. Do you know what I mean? I think that that was a, 
That was yeah. Does that make sense to you? So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And Mustaine has done it too, right? Because Mustaine didn't like the whole fantasy elements of metal, and he wrote a song about drunk driving. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and that song's garbage too. Um, it, there, there's this attempt at some point to to make metal do something else, mm-hmm. which I can appreciate. But when it's we're just going to write songs about riding dirt bikes, okay. When Dream Theater started, they were writing songs about cars, fast cars. Beach Boys, half of their discography is about, you know, Ford engines. It's if that's all you know how to talk about, if that's the only thing you know how to write about, your your music's not going anywhere for someone like me. And I don't want to have a conversation with somebody who likes hot dogs that much when I want to have a conversation about a complicated recipe. Well, I think if you're again, what, ha- what happened with Metallica was they escaped the metal genre, and so in metal, those kind of lyrics have currency, right? But once you go outside of metal, they don't have currency. I can't, I can't write a song like "Hallowed Be Thy Name" and get that onto Kiss One Hundred Eight, right? It's not going to fly. It's it's just not going to work, right? Like those that lyrical content, I, I've seen it so many times. When you get people that don't like metal and you show them a metal song, the look on their face when they understand the lyrics is you know it's just it doesn't doesn't work for them right so if you are a metal band and you've decided okay now we're going to try to reach a broader audience you're going to have to write different kinds of lyrics right like that's just you know i don't i don't i don't think you're going to get as much of much reach if you're if you're writing the kind of stuff metallica was writing on the the red lightning right um you know, definitely like fade to black's not gonna, not gonna fly with a lot of people, and most people aren't going to be that interested in this whole electric chair scenario. That the, you know, it just I don't know. Right. So I don't. Again, I, I don't think that that's a sin. I think it's fine if they want to reach a broader audience and they're trying to do it well and all that stuff. My main issue with Load and Saint Anger is I just don't like the aesthetic that they hit. It just doesn't work I, for me. I don't know if you're purposely missing my point or you can't argue against my point, but I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying the people's opinion of load doesn't matter to me because I don't want to talk about hot dogs. I want to talk about filet mignon. I want to listen to music and talk about music that is trying to do something and say something. A song about getting on a BMX bike and doing a, a loop-de-loop or a Superman it is goes nowhere with me. No, I'm saying I'm fine with them writing about hot dogs and BMX bikes. If it's a good <laughs> song. Do you know what I mean? If it's a song that I like. Um, you know, like there are Beach Boys songs I like. I'm not, you know, they're not topics that would normally interest me. But hey, if that's what if that's what you're passionate about, fine, write about it. Do you know what I mean? Um, uh there are different reasons to write music. Sometimes you want to write music to get people excited about riding a motorcycle. Do you know what I mean? Like this, sometimes you want, sometimes so, there are whole, you know, ACDC albums that are just about getting people to like, you know, shake their booty on a, on a stripper stage or something. Do you know what I mean? Like there are different reasons to write these songs. Um, so it, to, to me, that's, not, I don't know. I don't, I don't see that as a, I, I, I'm fine with both existing in the world. I'm fine with having lyric writers like Dio be around. Cause I think 
some of the stuff that 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 you get on the DL end of the spectrum is great. But I think you also do need people writing more universal things that everybody can kind of wrap their head around. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think you should always try to do both of them well, though. Do you, and uh, and so and and I do think that there is a you know there can be an art to writing really simple pop lyrics or really simple lyrics that are gonna you know have broader appeal i don't think that again i, I I've, I've never been enamored by james hetfield's lyrics so i i uh you know i and also i'm not the things the things that they are writing about on on a lot of those later albums are specifically things that i'm not terribly interested in in the first place so so I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't quite know where I was going there, but I, I, I think, I think I disagree with you, but there are points where I have agreement with you. Um, and that's why it's so confusing. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't like to have the, I don't know. I don't like to get too elitist about this stuff. I like to, uh, you know, I, I, and I, and I, I feel like, I feel like, if if Metallica had continued the trajectory that they were going with the Black Album, we'd be having a much different conversation, because I wouldn't be such a a critic of their later work, and that would make this conversation kind of easier. Because we both agree that we don't like Load, Reload, and uh, Saint Anger, um, but we're having this other conversation about broad appeal uh, that's tethered to those albums, and and so it's kind of making it difficult for me to uh, on the one hand criticize them, but on the one hand, uh, you know, say what I have to say about, you know, lyrics reaching a broader audience. Well, I was just using lyrics as an example of music quality, right? Cause you're, you defended that. Well, it's still as complicated to, to create load yeah. as any other album. And, that's fine. It doesn't sound more complicated. Um, I mean, honestly, it would be... Well, so number one, I think you made a very good point because it was obviously very difficult for me to rebut it. Um, but number two, I, I I haven't listened to those albums that much. You know, I, I when Load came out, I bought it and I was very disappointed by it. Uh, but I did listen to it more than once. Do you know what I mean? So I know some of the songs. But there was... I know there was a big hit... I forget they had did the unforgiven two come out on load or reload oh god don't ask me okay. i stopped buying their stuff so i i couldn't precisely tell you okay so whatever album that came out on it was one of those two that song is doing things in terms of harmonies and stuff that is just as complicated as stuff you heard on uh sure. master of puppets sure. um so I don't think that they weren't doing stuff that was complicated i just think they were hitting they were hitting a sound that I, it just didn't work for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I do agree with you. The lyrics are definitely like, I have to acknowledge the lyrics are probably not as complicated. Do you know what I mean? It, it's it's... <laughs> not, probably not as happy. <laughs> you, it would kill you to agree with me. Wouldn't it? You would literally give you cancer. I would get cancer. To agree and with me. I would get, you know, I, I, I know I'm stubborn, but I feel that it's a virtue to, <laughs> No, no, hear me out. Hear me out. I, I, I feel like being persuaded easily by people is how atrocities are committed in the world. 
Oh feel, my god. No, I'm serious. Oh I feel my like, god. I feel like you you need to be able to resist the movements of you know it's, We're not talking about Iran. We're no, talking about. I know, I know, but it, it, it start. It starts. It starts. It starts there. with Italian. Starts with Italian. That's how the Nazis. That's, got, that's how they got the Nazis. But I, I feel. I feel like no, no. Here, here's why. Because it's very easy. I always know how I feel about something. That's why I'm always emphasizing feelings. Yeah. Um, and it's very easy for somebody to come up and present me with an argument that I have no logical response to or i don't i don't i haven't thought through all the points yet so i i don't i don't have a real response to it and if i just agree with you because you've made some points that i can't refute right then then i then i change who i am in response to this intellectual argument but what i've found is when you when you give something a lot more time and think about it over a span that you 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 start to see where the person was right but also where they were wrong and so i feel like in this age in particular we're very concerned with people agreeing with you the moment you make a good argument and they make a bad one and i think that's the wrong way to go about things because it should be more that i'm hearing what you're saying and then i'm going to take it home and i'm going to go think about it and i'm going to find some of the things that i really have no responses to but then some of the stuff that i heard that i didn't have a response to i will eventually have a response so i'll eventually find the reasons that maybe that wasn't as strong a point as it sounded in the moment and and so that's why i'm so stubborn um because i've seen people turn into other things as a product of just every time they you know do you know what i mean and, and you're stubborn podcast, too. You're, you're, no, no, but you're <laughs> stubborn too. You, you, well, you act like I'm the only stubborn person in the room, but I don't think that you've changed a single opinion since I've known you on anything. And this is why, yeah. because you beat the same drum over and over again when we have these conversations. And but usually, I'm, but I'm not the I'm only the person one, you're talking to. You're talking I'm, to many other people that are making. I open with a thesis, mm-hmm. right? You don't open with theses. You open with your thesis is wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I you know. I'm, so well, you should open an episode one of these times just so I could show you how, how frustrating you are. <laughs> I don't mean to be frustrating. I just, you know, <laughs> it's not it's not my intent to frustrate you. My intent is just to give you my reaction to what's being said and to hopefully be a little bit entertaining. But I, I, I think that when I used to do the other podcast back in the day, um, a really long time ago i would change my mind from time to time in fact almost immediately if somebody had a, made a really good point i can be swayed the problem is we're talking about music here yeah and i was movies. gonna say that i was just gonna movies music movies are one very very subjective and things that are close to our hearts right so it's very difficult for us to change opinions we've been having you're never going to get me to hate megadeth nothing you will ever do will get me to hate megadeth Right. I mean, you could tell me he slaughtered a busload of children. And I will still say, yeah, but that music was beforehand. Yeah. That no, no. I, love, there's a lot right? of stuff Dave Mustaine does I don't like, but I'm not going to hate right. negative. Right. That. But yeah. his music is yeah. so good. I have to forgive it. Yeah. Right. Um, I think if we were talking about something else, we were talking about something new. If we were reviewing in which we should do a reaction video again pretty soon. If we we're listening to music for the first time, I could sit there and listen to your opinion about it and and get something from it. Yeah. But you're yeah. not going to give me anything new about, you know, Holy Wars punishment do. You can yeah. never 
tell me that that's not a good song. I've never, ever tried to tell you it's not a good song. Right. I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would never dare. Um, no, but I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Uh, but but again, I, I so but but I, my only point was that, you know, that you've been stubborn, too. It's not it's not just me being stubborn here. I I think that. Uh, I, well, I don't know. I, I think also people that listen to heavy metal are that way um yeah, definitely you know stubborn yeah there's there's that is i mean dave mustaine is one of the most stubborn people in the world do you know what i mean um and that's one of the most it's kind of the most endearing thing about him because that's how you become megadeth do you know what i mean you don't you know a a, a less willful person wouldn't have started megadeth the way he did and 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 continued to write the kind of music that he did so um so there's that, I don't know, I don't, I would call it like a stubbornness ethic or something in, in, right. in the genre. Um, and I was a guitarist. And so guitarists are very, guitarists are the most hot-headed people you're ever going to meet in the band. Do you know what I mean? They're the most, you know, that's why, you know, the, the Richie Blackmores of the world all play guitar. They never play drums, except for that guy in The Who. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like it's, 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 always, it's always the guitarists that are, either the real jerks or like the visionaries you know they're always the ones with the most stark personality and and all this stuff so um you know i think i think you know coming up through the genre as a guitarist made me particularly stubborn about my views on the music and all that so um but yeah i don't know i i i, I, I forget how we even got here to be honest i don't know so. I think we should cut this. I want to do a real quick episode about something else, maybe five minutes. All right, all right. Let me uh, let's stop it here. We got an hour and forty-five minutes. So, Jesus. Yep.